Welcome to the O'Reilly Design Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Tressler. This week, I sit down with Nate Walkingshaw, Chief Experience Officer at Pluralsight. We talk about product leadership, designing product teams, and how his passion for fire and EMS led him into the product management world. Enjoy the episode. Nate, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. We're thrilled to have you. So I'd love for you to start off by talking a little bit about your journey into design and how you knew it was something you wanted to do and how it led to where you're at now. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting journey, mostly because uh, it, you wouldn't you wouldn't know where kind of I where I was actually coming from. But I actually started out as an emergency medical technician for the fire and EMS field. So I, I you know, design wasn't in my purview, product management, user experience design, you know, engineering, none of that was really close for me. Uh, everything in my world, you know, came out of the fire and EMS uh, industry. And really, if you step back from that, the thing that got me really interested in product management and in user experience design was kind of honing this life skill or this craft of empathy from the fire and EMS space. So kind of the, the shorter version of this is that I invented, uh, you know, a track device that mounted to the bottom of my ambulance cot so I didn't have to carry patients down flights of stairs. Uh, and I really thought this solution was, was amazing. Uh, the, the issue with it, and as most user experience designers go, um, if you don't do, you know, customer visits or interviews, I really just built a product, you know, for me, but not for we. And so as I went and launched this product, uh, to the masses, uh, it, it really didn't do that well. It, it actually was a catastrophic failure. And it's that's really where kind of the chops of, you know, understanding empathy, understanding how to design a product for scale, how to design a product for, you know, paramedics in, you know, New York City versus, you know, Florida versus North Dakota. Uh, and just really understanding the concept behind you have to build form and function uh, to meet, you know, all those different aspects uh, of the world. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit about how it led, like, how did you go from there to chief experience officer at Pluralsight? The early side of that story was, you know, when I put a crater in the ground from the first product, uh, I was, you know, we really had, well, I had, we'd lost everything at that point. Uh, we'd launched, we'd raised a bunch of money, uh, you know, built this product called the Descent Control System, the DCS, that was the track system. Um, and then when we launched it, uh, we knew that it probably wasn't going to be a success, you know, several months into the market. After we kind of collected ourselves uh, for the next couple of quarters, I was introduced to this amazing person. Her name is Ann Allen, and she ran the emergency uh, services department for Intermountain Healthcare in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I took her this ambulance cot with a set of tracks. Um, and when I showed her this ambulance cot and this set of tracks, I wanted to get her feedback on would there be any application in the hospital industry. And when she looked at it, she said, well, Nate, you know, how much does the ambulance cot cost? And I'm like, well, they're 3,500 bucks. And she's like, how much do the tracks cost? I'm like, well, they're 2000 bucks. Hmm. She's like, so how, you know, for, you know, $6,000, I have 800 patients in this hospital. How would I afford those one? And then two, where would I store all of them? But what, what was cool is that she just didn't walk me out of the building. She actually brought me into, you know, the hospital. And she's like, look, I have, I have a problem. And the problem that I want you to solve is I do have patients that are non-ambulatory. They can't walk. 
um, you know, in critical care units and ICU units, uh, bariatric patients. And if we were to have, you know, let's say a, a you know, a building fire or mass evacuation of a hospital, I have to figure out how to get these patients down. And so she really became this subject matter expert and helped me see a different path. You know, my passion was in fire and EMS, but we kind of ended up pivoting into the hospital space. And uh, we invented this thing called the Paraslide, and it's a hospital evacuation sled. And that product sits in roughly 70% of the hospitals in the US today. And it was all from this ideation with, with Anne. And so just to fast forward, you know, we launched a new product every year at Paramed, and eventually that company was bought by Stryker Medical. Um, and then I went and worked for Stryker Medical in the EMS division. And so if you look at kind of my career path, it started out in hardware. And then when I went to Stryker, it was hardware and software, where a lot of the devices, the patient transport equipment we were working with there, um, had a lot to do uh, with low energy Bluetooth, um, we did a lot of stuff with infrared technology, uh, patient servicing technology. Uh, we learned a lot about how kind of IoT worked together. So I really honed, you know, those chops around hardware and then software. And then I left Stryker and started a company called Brightface. And Brightface was uh, just a straight products company. And it did um, a lot of IoT, but mostly software. We shipped like 40 web applications in three years. One of those uh, products was CycleFace that sold to Strava, which was a really fun um, exit for our team. And then uh, at you know OC Tanner, again, hardware and software, mostly a software play at OC Tanner, and then the chief experience officer at Pluralsight. That's kind of my my life history in in, in a minute here. But yeah, it's 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 a crazy story. <laughs> it's an interesting one, for sure. Yeah. Um, so what have you learned? And I'm sure you've learned plenty, but what are some of the lessons you've learned about yourself through the twists and turns in your career so far? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the very quick answer is people are really the heart and soul of what matters at companies. I mean, that's the biggest takeaway, uh, you know, after growing a company, selling it, growing a company and selling it, you know, the backbone of really, really great companies are great people. That's the first thing that I'd probably say. I think from a personal perspective, you know, for those of obviously the audience doesn't know this, but I'm married, but I have four boys. And so, you know, balancing work and life, you know, in the early startup days, that was near impossible. I mean, Sarah basically was this, you know, was a single mother, you know, for all those years, for five years at Paramed and then for, you know, the two years at Stryker. So for the better part of seven years, she was kind of raising four sons by herself. And I think, you know, that had a huge impact on my life. Um, it had a huge impact on how I view, you know, people that work for me uh, or that I work with. And, and you really think deeply about their families, the impact a company has on families. A lot of the other pieces there, too, is that work is part of everyone's daily fabric. Uh, work isn't something that you just go to for eight hours or 10 hours. I think in this day and age, work is something that just is pervasive. It's, it's actually probably the bigger textile on the entire piece of fabric, right? And I think that if you're really, if you really have an awareness to that as a leader, you, you can be a really great person if you understand, you know, how all of that goes together. But that, I mean, it, for me, it's, it's people. I mean, that's kind of what I've really been on a rant about over the last, you know, two or three years is, you know, really protecting, you know, people within companies. Mm -hmm. That's interesting to hear, you know, you talk about empathy and employees, yeah. Um, when, when so much of what, uh, designers and, and 
product managers talk about is empathy for the consumer, the customer, the end user. Um, but to think about putting yourself in your employee's shoes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Um, it's, it's the thing that I'd want to say to that, because you'd actually just struck a chord there is if you look at like the, let's just say the product that I built for the Fire and EMS space, you know, a lot of people who go into Fire and EMS would build equipment or tools to actually help patients. But when I went into that space, I actually went to go invent the tool that helps the caregiver. But the cool kind of multidimensional piece of that is that patient outcomes became better. And it's because once you created a, be a better caregiver uh, with a better tool, then all of a sudden that benefited the patient that was being transported by those devices. So like, you know, if you really think about companies, if you make, you know, the people within those four walls really healthy people, they actually serve the customer in a much more uh, proactive, but in a, but in a much more healthy way. Mm, that's a really good and probably well overlooked uh, observation. So talk to me about Pluralsight. How are teams structured there, in particular product teams? How do design and product and engineering work together? Yeah, um, I think it's, you know, it's um, like we're doing, I think we're doing something here at Pluralsight that, that isn't actually pervasive. It's not, you know, a well-adopted organizational design structure, but I think it's the future of organizational design. So today uh, we have product management, user experience design, engineering, and then our core competency as a company is content. Um, you know, we're the world's largest developer IT ops and creative uh, training library in the world. You know, we're really disrupting ILT. And so if you kind of look at the the goal or the success uh, for the company, you know, moving forward is that we care deeply about unlocking learning for our individual learners. We also have, you know, we're a B2B and a B2C place. So we have individual learners on our business to consumer platform. And then, you know, we have the enterprise, uh, small and emerging and commercial accounts. And the way that we kind of organized ourselves, one, is we had a really clear, you know, a really clear vision for the company. And the vision for the company for years has been the, the democratization of professional technology learning. And, you know, as we've shifted into, you know, the enterprise, another really, you know, present thing for us is closing the technology skills gap. So if you were actually to go talk to everyone that sits inside the experience organization, which is the product management, user experience design, and content teams, like they could recite democratizing professional technology learning or closing the technology skills gap um, to you. Like I'm very confident 100% of the, you know, the team could do that. Uh, and, the, and the goal, the kind of the mission behind that is really creating progress through technology that lifts the human condition. Mm -hmm. So, you know... The, the perspective that I want to share is that, one, we have a great mission and vision and people are connected to it. And then two, from an organizational design, like what's the strategy that lays underneath or underneath the foundation of that? And I would say that most of the teams, um, I don't want to say all, but I feel like we're really great at each individual person that drives into work every day can see their role, the strategy, the mission and the vision of the company, and they feel really connected to it. And the why they feel connected to it is because of the way we design the teams. And so product management, user experience design, um, content and engineering are all cross-functional and they're co-located. So they all sit together as a group um, solving problems for our personas. And we're really aligned around three major personas. You know, we have individual learners in dev, IT, and creative. We have what, what we call SDLs or skills development leaders. 
Um, and we have, you know, those are VPs of engineering, CIO, CTOs, you know, tech leads. We have the IT ops group and their um, hierarchy and leaders. And then we have the creatives, you know, people in the office of the CMO. Um, and that could include also people in engineering in our uh, creative design and engineering uh, pillar, content pillar. So, yeah, we all the teams are, are designed uh, cross-functional, co-located. In those teams, too, we have DevOps. Uh, we also have uh, data science and data engineering. And then some of those teams have psychology just to really understand how people learn so we can really understand those fundamentals. That's great. Wow. Um, interesting. And in, in terms of the dynamics, I'm curious, is there, um, you know, a general ratio of product managers to UX designers to engineers or? Yeah, that's a great question. So <clears throat> product management user experience design, like we call them couples. So for, for every team, I guess the, the more context we could give is the 13 cross-functional co-located teams that we have, they're designed all around experiences. So you know, for those of you, of you who don't know who Pluralsight is, you know, we have different affordances within the application. And one of those things is skill paths or adaptive skill tests or watching courses or live mentoring. And so those teams are organized around those experiences. And so most of our development teams are, you know, a product management and user experience designer, at least four to eight developers, a DevOps individual, a data science and a data engineer. Uh, will all be included in that mix to deliver an end-to-end experience across those personas. Interesting. Okay. And so there's a designer assigned to that group, each of those. Okay. Yeah. To every single product experience that we're delivering on for a persona. So, you know, there'll be another team broken out on assessments, our adaptive skill test engine. And we've organized those teams all around those adaptive skill test engines. Excellent. Okay. So you must have people in your, um, in your team there that are, that are looking to take on more of a leadership role. And so my next question to you is what advice do you have for folks that are listening that are either in design or in in product who want to take on more of a leadership role? Well, (laughs) that's, that's a great question. I could give kind of, there's two different paths that I think about at least the two different paths are kind of hard skills and soft skills from a soft skills perspective you know, don't be a jerk. Uh, that's kind of the first thing, you know, don't lose your temper data, like aggregated data wins a lot of really, you know, a lot of debates around the workplace, like come prepared, uh, kindness, you know, humility, live in reality. You know, I think those are just simple things that just continually come to the forefront that need to be restated all the time when you're working in a cross-functional environment is that, you know, the way people experience you Um, And the way that you experience others really has to do with two things, which is kind of conflict versus context. And a lot of the times when we interact with each other and you're trying to move into a leadership role is you understanding that you just don't understand someone's context and that's what's causing the conflict. And I think great leaders have an ability to kind of back away, um, kind of look at how you work on the business instead of in it. And then really find a way to collaborate with others to, you know, come up with the best outcome for the company, the users, the customers, uh, and everyone that's, you know, working together. So, you know, from a soft skills perspective, I would say we spend, well, at least I do, um, our teams do, my leaders do, we spend a lot of time around the soft skills. And it's, and it's because it's the nature of, you know, product development work and design work and engineering work is that all of that requires those teams to be cross-functional. Like we can't ship an experience without all of those teams 
working in concert together. And so we spend a lot of cycles investing in people, investing in, you know, the culture, investing in the soft skills of individuals. From a hard skills perspective, it's, it kind of comes down to, to, you know, you need to have the hard skills in product management and design um, kind of out of the box. Else it's, it's a pretty challenging environment. We also love to take, you know, individuals that might not be as, as senior in those roles. And we love skilling those people up, um, to, you know, to be really effective, you know, um, individuals, but we, we also love giving them opportunities to lead if they seek it. That's excellent. Wow. It sounds like a great place. So, um, so you wrote a book on product leadership, which I believe you're done with now and is in production, should be out shortly. Can you talk a little bit about, oh, and I should say you co-authored it. Could you talk a little bit about why you decided to write it with your co-authors and what readers should expect to take away from it? Yeah, well, I co-authored with uh, Richard Banfield and Martin Erickson. I mean, just, yeah, they're superpowers. I really love <laughs> these guys. They're, they're amazing. A lot of people ask all the time, like, what was it right, like, like writing a book with two other people? I mean, how did you actually do that? And I'll tell you, one thing that was amazing is that we we did not get in each other's way at all. It was it was really one of the more collaborative things I've actually done in my career. And uh and I think it's it's cool because you know, we talk a lot about cross-functional behavior co-location and if you look within the book like what like what do we want people to take away? What does success mean? You know, from the book is you know, we kind of dog-fooded it ourselves, which you know, one it was our personal opinion but two, we went out and kind of did prototype observation on best practices. So, you know, you're going to see 50 plus interviews in there from the best practitioners in the world on how they applied, you know, their form of, you know, product leadership, which I think is going to be super valuable. Most of the books that you see out there is maybe an opinion piece where this is, you know, our, our opinion and where we think the industry is going. The other piece is that we also see, you know, that the different life cycle of a business, whether you're a startup, you know, kind of a mid-market company or an enterprise, or you're an agency doing work, like we really hit all of those areas. And if you're in design or product management or engineering, like I feel like you're going to have this big toolbox to use at whatever stage of company uh, that you're in. And then as you kind of move throughout your life uh, on different career paths, you know, you can go back to this book multiple times and kind of find out what's occurring in those different stages. And then you get to learn from the best product leaders in the world. I'm really excited about it. Like it was a really fun book to write. And I learned a ton, man. I learned a ton from Richard and Martin. I learned a ton from, you know, the people that we talked to. And uh, it, it allows you the opportunity to kind of sit back in your chair and really think deeply about where you are in your life. It's pretty cool. Awesome. So, you know, there are a lot of designers that want to move into uh, product management. Um, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what advice you might have for them if they're looking to break into the field. Yeah. Well, I think the industry is evolving a ton. You know, where design was five years ago versus where, you know, design is today. And I'm speaking specifically to user experience design, mm-hmm. and even visual design as well, is that the line between, you know, product management, user experience and engineering, that line blurs a lot if you're building product the right way, I think. Um, and it's because you have to understand the context of what engineering is trying to do. And I'll give you a really great example of this is that if you think about user experience design today, there it's just not you know, pretty pixels, right? They're making affordance choices based off of 
aggregated research. And that research is telling them the things that they need to place under that page to grow a strong likelihood to buy, a strong length of stay. You know, it improves retention. They have a bunch of SaaS metrics out there that people really care about around annual recurring revenue per user. There's just a lot of things that are coming into the forefront of the software side. And I'm, I'm telling you, like software and hardware, you know, that is really present for us today. But it's going to continue just to grow and grow and grow. Um, so the more that you know about software and hardware and the way that those things integrate, that's going to be key. The other key piece around the engineering side, there's always a lot of heated debates and topics around, you know, should a designer learn how to code? I think it's a lot more nuanced than that. The nuance that I love to speak to is that as developers write lines of code, the symmetry between user experience design and an engineer actually are really, really similar. And this is the one way that I love to describe it is that when a developer sits down to write um, a line of code, what's happening or what's occurring for the developer in the back of their mind is that they're thinking about the logic that sits behind that code. And if you have ever sat behind a user experience designer or you've designed yourself, the amount of creativity and thought that's going into, you know, looking at, I'm, I'm just creating a, you know, skills development leader dashboard in my mind. And I need to take someone from, you know, this dashboard into like license allocation. And as the people flow into license allocation back to the dashboard or back into reporting, you know, you're, you're constantly thinking about the learner's journey or the skills development leader's journey. And just as a user experience designer does that, an engineer is doing the same thing only through the code base. And as an engineer and a designer start to learn more about the nuances of their business, the better that they can work together. I mean, if you're working in a company that has this all siloed away, you don't, you know, you don't have any fundamental understanding of like what's really occurring for the engineering and the product team. And what, what the byproduct of that is actually a, a work product that couldn't be as good right? As if they all knew each other's worlds and contexts. And that's like, that's the big deal. That, that's the thing that I, I guess I really care the most about is that the more that you get close to the customer, and then the more that you understand your team, the better the, you know, the better the product is going to get. And so, you know, designers, you know, dig deep, man, like get deep into it. Wow. That's awesome. Um, yeah. You you clearly love your job. I can hear the passion in your voice. And everyone, I think, that loves the, their their jobs the way that it sounds like you do uh, um, needs to find time to refresh, right? So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about mm -hmm. what you do to kind of strike that balance between work and, I say life, but life is work, right? So work and non-work. Well, I live in Utah. You know, it's a lifestyle state. I love the outdoors. Mary, like I love the outdoors. So I spend, you know, like I said, I have four sons. They all play lacrosse uh, and soccer, but you know, it's lacrosse season right now. I'm actually playing a ton. I have a 14 year old and I've actually, you know, suited back up, you know, helmet and pads. And I've actually been playing a lot uh, at their practices. I played in high school, played a little bit in college as well, and have just found a lot of uh, meaning in being on the field with my, you know, with my oldest son, that's been a really great time. I go to all their games on Saturdays. Uh, I hike a ton. I ride bikes a lot. I snowboard a ton. I really love the outdoors. So that's kind of how I get recharged. And the other thing is, is in the mornings, I used to do this huge thing on Instagram, uh, a pay yourself first campaign. And basically what I would do is for those people that are, you know, can hear my voice that are in companies that are in growth tech right now. I know what your life's like. You know, it's 12 to 14 hours a day, 
six or seven days a week. And you've got this constant, you know, nipping at the back of your mind, what am I missing or what should I be doing right now? And I think the most impactful thing that I've done in my life is I've really got sacred time carved out in the morning for me to, you know, work out or go on a run or go on a bike ride. And I kind of have 55 minutes to 65 minutes that that's carved out six days a week for whatever I want to do in that time. And, you know, nobody gets to take that away from me. And that's the way that I've really, I've really found peace with, you know, with the pace of growing a growth tech company right now. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so back to product management and product design a little bit, what do you look for in, and not necessarily skills, but attributes when you're hiring for either product design or product management? Yeah. I mean, the first thing that comes to the front of my mind is attitude, like eternal optimism. I love, I love folks that focus on the A, not the F, not that the F shouldn't get a lot of attention, but the way that you look at the F to solve problems or complicated problems, you can, you can come at that from a pretty negative perspective or a positive perspective. And, you know, really great leaders, great product managers, they look at a problem as an opportunity to unlock something that we had never discovered before. So, you, you know, when you interview folks or when you work on teams, you know, you can smell that attribute pretty quick, even in the interview process. You know, you, you get a pretty good sense for it right out of the gate. The other thing, you know, the old layover test, like, does this person pass the layover test? And that's like, if I got stuck in the airport with Mary Tressler, you know, after 24 hours, would you and I still be friends? <laughs> and so that's, you know, the layover test is a big deal. Like, this is this someone that I could hang out with that, you know, I would want to go out to drinks with and, and uh, socialize with? Would I want to introduce this person to my family? Would I be proud, you know, to, to work with this person? All those things really matter. It goes back to the fact like I spend more time at work with these people than I do with my family. And so the attitude, eternal optimism, right? You know, don't be a jerk. You know, are you fun to work with? You know, from a cognitive perspective, like, can you unlock complicated problems? Are you creative? Can you come up with creative solutions? I think those things really matter uh, a lot. Absolutely. It's always about the people. Yeah, it is. So one final question I have for you is beyond your own work, uh, what people or projects are grabbing your attention these days? Yeah, you know, there's a lot. And I think it's just because of the era that we're in. Man, there are a lot of people doing a lot of amazing things right now. You know, there's there's one that's really, there's there's two that's kind of further away from me, but I'm a huge fan of their company. I'm a huge fan of their product. I'm a huge fan of what they're doing. DJI, you know, what they're doing in the drone space, but they're ability to innovate in IoT, their ability to innovate on new product experiences, hardware and software wise. I've really enjoyed watching that company. I was at uh, Web Summit, I think two years ago, and I got onto a panel with the head of product management from DJI. And man, we got to talk back and forth together for a while. And it was just, yeah, it was just great, man. They, those guys are just, they're up to a lot of really creative things. As far as someone like really close to me, someone that, you know, people should keep an eye on too is we bought Code School a couple of years ago, two years ago, and Justin Mazel from the designer, because you know we're talking about designers. Justin Mazel, you know, is just a fantastically uh, talented guy. He's just started, um, you know, his own company. It's he's going to kill me because I'm forgetting the the name of the company off the top of my head. But it, just look him up. You, you're everyone has the Google, so they can do whatever they need to do there. But he's he's making these pins, these illustrations, and they're like pins that you can actually physical pins you can wear. And I was like, 
I can tell you, I got lost. I got absolutely got lost into his web app yesterday. I'm fascinated on what on what these these guys are doing. It's really really cool to to watch. Yeah, like I said, those are those are two those are two things that I think are are happening in my world that I think are fantastic. But there's a lot of companies and a lot of people that are creating super impactful things right now. Absolutely, and those two I hadn't heard of. So thank you. We we can all check them out. Yeah. Um, Nate, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a true pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. You can reach Nate on Twitter at nwalkingshaw. You can subscribe to the O'Reilly Design Podcast through iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or SoundCloud. And be sure to leave a review while you're there. <laughs>